This morning we read from Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes, If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I've come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Beloved, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God for the people of God. In 1887, in a small neighborhood grocery store, a middle-aged man, Emmanuel Ninger, handed a $20 bill to the clerk. He was there to buy some vegetables. He got those. She took the note, but her hands had been wet. And she noticed that it seemed like some of the ink came off the $20 note as she put it in the drawer. But she had known Mr. Ninger most of her life. He was such a sweet, nice man. How could this be? She tried to put the thought out of her mind and went ahead and gave him his change and went about her work. But as the day went on, she became more and more concerned. And finally, at the end of the day, called the police to report what had happened. They came to investigate they decided it should be investigated. They procured a search warrant, and they went to Mr. Ninger's house. He lived upstairs. They went up there. They didn't see anything at first. They went up to the next floor to the attic, and there they found an easel with paints and ink and paper and a $20 note attached to the easel. He was, in fact counterfeiting money it seems strange because as they talked to him they realized that indeed he was a master artist in fact they found three other portraits right there next to where he was making the counterfeit bills later they sold those at auction each of them bringing more than five thousand dollars apiece as they talked to him about what he was doing, 
they realized that he was spending about the same amount of time meticulously creating a $20 note as he was these portraits. Here's $20 compared to $5,000 or more. He had lost his way. We are shocked that someone would waste their time doing something so foolish when they could have done something so valuable. They could have added beauty and meaning to the world. They could have made a valuable contribution. But rather, he was spending his time in other ways. It's easy to condemn him. As I read that story, I wondered if there are not some similarities in terms of how we live our own lives. We think about what we did yesterday or last week. I imagine we could all find time where we wasted some of our time, where we did something less than meaningful. We spent our time on things other than the most important things in our lives, or at least what we declare to be the most important. We often lose time or waste time that could be used and devoted to God and enhancing and enriching our relationship with God or with those around us who are friend and family, those who are in need. So many ways to spend our time. Have you ever found yourself looking back and thinking, I made a mistake there. I wasted some time there. That was foolish. We have each been given a gift by God of 1,440 minutes every day. In terms of time, no one is any richer or poorer than anyone else. We're all given the same amount of time. Like the manna that God gave to the Hebrew children when they were in the wilderness, it comes today and it must be used today. No one gets to store up some of the minutes from today to use tomorrow or the next day. Each day comes to us as a gift. and We have to make a decision about how we use it. In terms of the Bible and financial stewardship, the guide is give the first fruits back to God. Give your first gift back to God. The standard the Bible talks about is 10%. Give 10%, the first 10% back to God. But that takes a lot of trust for most of us because when we begin to think about giving back to God through the church, especially if we calculate 10%, it seems like a mighty big number. And we wonder if we can make it, if we can get by, if we can afford to do that. We have trouble trusting the wisdom of Scripture that it helps you grow in your relationship with God. It deepens your trust and your intimacy. And in fact, you will be better off, the Bible says. That if you get that first gift right, it puts everything else in context and perspective. And it begins to change your life and the character of your life and create within you a more generous spirit and a more sensitive soul to what God is calling one to do so at this time of year 
Every year we ask you to think about this and to pray about this, to review what you have received from the hand of God and think about how much of God's money are you willing to entrust back into the hands of God. What kind of decision we make has to do with faith as well as finances. What has God provided in your life and how much are you willing to entrust back to God through the church. It really is a question of faith. God gives you this time. What if you thought of your time like the Bible talks about finances? What if you began to think, I'll give 10% of my time back to God every day. That would be 144 minutes a day. How would God use you? How might God shape you? Where might God lead you? How might God bless you if you were willing to devote 144 minutes each and every day specifically to God, asking God for guidance and direction? I think for most of us, it would change our lives. I would guess a lot of us would think, how in the world will I find that much time to offer to God? And yet, of course, we know God really asks for all of us and all of our time. But the tithe is a way to put that in perspective, whether it's finances or time. What do you trust? What do you value most? What are your priorities? How do you choose to live your life? Because we all have a choice how we use what we have. It's the title for today's sermon has to do with what you value most. What do you value most? Mr. Ninja got all mixed up, didn't he? Went for short-term gain and illicit profit when he could have done something so much more beautiful and memorable, such, something so much more significant and valuable. But we see it in the news fairly often where people go for that fast buck and the short-term gain and often begin to break the rules along the way and lose their way. Often they lose their financial stability or security. Sometimes they lose their own personal freedom. But Paul says there is another way, that he has found another way in Christ. It's even more radical than what we've been talking about. He writes about this in verse 7 and 8. He says, after he's described how blessed he was and how faithful he was in his former life, he says, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying Coming to know Christ has changed everything. He's no longer focused on loss. He's following Jesus Christ. And you might remember Christ said you cannot serve God and wealth. Not that you should not, but that you cannot. You have to make a choice. What's going to be at the top? What's going to be the number one priority? What's going to be at the core of your life? And Paul is following this Jesus Christ and recognizing that Christ is the pinnacle. It takes precedent over everything. 
He's no longer feeling the pull of those other things about status and prestige that he had gone for. He is focused solely on Christ. But so often, we get caught between the pull of culture and material gain versus the call of God and spiritual gain. Haven't you felt that within yourself? I feel that every year at this time of year. Mary and I get the pledge materials like everyone else, and we have to talk about this and how much shall we give and can we give more and is God leading us to grow? We became tithers years ago and now growing beyond that, we want to give more and we're trying to decide how much can we give? How much is God calling us to release back into God's care through the church? Is this a place we can grow? Can we do this? Can we do that? It's a decision we all have to make, a discernment that we all need to go through to think and pray about how are we doing with what God has given us. I was thinking back to 2008. It was this time of year. I was leading a stewardship campaign in another church I was serving, and the housing bubble had burst. And people were losing their homes, often their largest assets, and financial corporations, huge corporations that we thought would never do anything but make money. We're not only losing money, but we're going out of business. They were shutting down. They were firing all their employees. It was over for them. But it was a great reminder about where real security comes from. And it gave us a chance in that church as a finance committee and as a congregation to talk about where do we place our security? What are we counting on? Our finances? Or are we really counting on our faith in God to provide for us? Oh, it's not the same thing this year, but there's still financial turbulence where one day great gains happen and other days great losses the gospel has already shared with us that as far as christ is concerned he was very clear our security is in god we trust in god that's who finally is the deepest and most transcendent place to put our security but in times of financial turbulence it gives us a real chance to reaffirm our faith in God versus things. It's not that I don't want people to be financially secure. I do. But our faith says there's something more important and bigger and deeper than even that. And it's a trust in God. And it brings a kind of peace and security that nothing else can offer. Paul says, I get it now. I counted all those other things as gain, but now I see them as loss because Christ is first. And I'm following the one, Paul says, who says, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added unto you. A passage like this gives us an opportunity to reevaluate who we are and whose we are and where our commitments are and whether or not our daily living reflects those things we say that we value the most. Paul says, listen, 
I've looked at my life and everything I thought was important, I now count as loss. It's rubbish. I am focused on Christ because He is of surpassing value. The losses I've had, and I've had losses, he said. Oh, I have lost a lot, but it's nothing compared to my life in Christ. Paul says I can count it all as lost because I've become Christ. Christ has chosen me, Paul says, and redeemed me and redirected me. So this is what I do in verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I've already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Have you heard that good news that Christ has chosen you? That you're one of God's beloved children? That you're part of this covenant family of faith? That God's grace is Offered to you day in and day out, minute by minute, God is redeeming you and sustaining you. It's a word of grace. Paul is sharing his experience of grace and how once he recognized what God was doing in his life through Christ, he wanted to respond with all the vigor and vitality he could muster. And so he's running the race, forgetting all these other things and pressing forward, he says. I like to follow local sports teams, so this time of year I'm trying to watch the OU games, the OSU games, the TU games. I listen to the sports reports, read about what the coaches and players are saying. And it's interesting to me that as you listen to those players and coaches be interviewed, they always talk about what's coming in front of them. They always talk about improvement. They say, oh, we're practicing harder so we can do better next week. We're watching films so we can learn and improve for next week. We're all getting together, focusing on making sure we do our part, doing our role, so the whole team does better. They're always looking forward. They're always talking about improvement. Now, that's not biblical per se. Kind of biblical in Oklahoma, but it's not really (laughs) biblical. But it ties closely to what Paul is talking about in this passage this morning. Verse 13, he says, But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call, or some translations say the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's no longer the things of the world or the things of culture that Paul is focused on. He's focused on the eternal or the transcendent, the heavenly, this upward call of God that comes to all of us. He says this call of God in Christ Jesus is the thing that far surpasses all of other things. It is so valuable, in fact, in Paul's eyes, that everything else looks like rubbish. Is your faith like that? Does your life look like that? If somebody followed you around, would they know your number one priority was embodying the love of God that you've come to know in Jesus Christ? So many things compete for our time, for our talent, for our energy, for our resources. So many different things that we could do 
in these days with our lives. But Paul says there's only one. There's only one that really matters. And we as the church are to be the visible sign or the visible symbol of Christ alive in the world. Is your life reflecting that? Do people see that in the way that you live? Good news is that Christ has made us His own. Are we ready to respond with the same vigor as Paul? It's a holy calling. Remember the root word of holy means we are set apart. This call of God sets us apart. And our devotion to Christ, our response to God through Christ is to be the thing that sets us apart puts us in a place where God can shape and form us ever more into the image of Christ so that our living proclaims the good news day in and day out. But I'm not sure about your life, but I know in mine, some days I'm really focused. I'm ready to go. I'm so very clear. And other days I let the other distractions come in and the other values begin to pull me this way and that. And it diminishes my vigor. It diminishes my witness. I find that if I'm not maintaining my daily time with God, where I spend some time in prayer and listening and Bible reading and praying, that I'm not as clear. So I've put at the end of your outline a prayer. I thought it might be helpful to have a daily prayer to use for a while as you think and ponder about this. I'm going to read it to you for our closing this morning. We thank you, gracious God, that you answer all who call upon your name from every nation. Make us bold to ask for your help and to persist beyond all discouragement. May our faith in you transform our troubled lives into testimonies to your love and power through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.